Inside the Adventure Season 1, Episode 16, with Milo Pierwilla. If you've ever been afraid to step outside your comfort zone, then you're in the right place. Inside the Adventure features incredible athletes and everyday people sharing their epic stories of pushing life to its limits. Get ready to be inspired, face your fears, and take action with your host, Marshall Mosier. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Inside the Adventure with your host, Marshall Mosier. Today, we're speaking with Milo Pierre Wola, an amazing person that I met at this year's Outdoor Retailer Conference, who's been doing some incredible things. He's the founder of EXP Adventures. He is also the founder of 360, uh, of something called World in 360 VR, uh, which is a company that produces virtual reality videos of real adventures, including winter alpine climbing, flying a drone inside a mine, bicycling, uh, etc., where he takes those videos in virtual reality headsets and brings them to orphanages, hospitals, inpatient care centers, and schools to let people who've never been able to experience that type of activity before actually feel like they're experiencing it for the first time. Really, really incredible stuff that I can't wait for Milo to tell you guys more about, uh, as well as everything he does with Founder, uh, everything he does as the founder of the EXP Adventures Company, uh, which is an incredible, privately guided, um, amazing uh, adventures experience company. So it's so great to have you on the show with us today, Milo. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited. We had a first go at the outdoor retailer, and uh, I think because of some microphone issues, we had to reschedule. So this is, gave, gave me a little bit more thought to put into what I'm going to be talking about. It's great to finally have you on the show. Uh, and tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, I briefly kind of read off some of the things you've been doing, but um, that doesn't do it justice. Give us kind of a background of how you got started and a little bit more about all the things you've been doing. Sure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so I, I kind of have a unique background, and uh, that this awareness comes from having participated in uh, various trainings that I've taken along the way in order to orient myself in the outdoors. But basically, I come from the city. So I grew up, uh, I was born in Poland, in Warsaw, in the, large, in the capital city, which is a major sprawling metropolis. I traveled from there to America, and I, and I grew up in New Jersey, which is the most densely populated state. So the type of parks that I'm used to have sidewalks sometimes, or have very well-trodden paths, and they're so close to the road, you can pretty much always hear cars. And so the, there, there's unique obstacles that, that I had to face in order to, just, just to get outdoors, you know, and, and so in pursuing the outdoor adventure world and working in the industry uh, didn't really come so easily for me. And I, I'm comparing that against, you know, individuals that live in areas that are just ripe with the wilderness. So people who can hike out of their backyard into the mountains, uh, places like Denver or Aspen or anywhere in California, really, or Oregon or Washington, Utah, any one of those beautiful places. Um, and I love visiting there. I'm not saying that they're, they're worse at all. What I'm saying is that there's an access for individuals that come from there that is not available to people who come from cities. You know, we grow up, and I be, by we, I'm, I'm talking about people who, who come from metropolitan areas. We grow up in classrooms, 
And when we look at our elders, we see people who are in nine to five jobs, people who earn money so that they can have a home, so that they can have a car, so that they could drive to work, pay for their uh, uh, kids' education in college, and so on and so forth. And when you get caught up in this, in this culture, what ends up happening is you, you're never thinking of the outdoors as a career option. What you're, what you're thinking of the outdoors as is something that you do recreationally on the weekend. And, and of course, that's true. Also, for people who come from the outdoors uh, in less uh, populated areas, um, but as I said before, it's just not so accessible. So, for for a person like me, the the only advice I ever heard, and the only advice I was ever exposed to growing up, was get an education, get a job, get a car, get a house, get a wife, get kids, white picket fence, all that stuff. And of course, I followed that path for quite a while. You know, the entire time I was growing up, I watched movies uh, like Step Into Liquid, um, read books like Into Thin Air. I watched Indiana Jones. I watched King Kong, Star Wars, any movie that has to do with exploration. And I imagined myself as the the protagonist of those stories, the hero, the, the guy that's doing the exploring. Unfortunately, nobody ever told me that this was a viable option, ever. So I went through all of the entire process in the uh, in the city, which is uh, lower education, upper education. I went to law school. I finished law school. I, I, uh, I passed the bar exam. I became a lawyer in New York City. And by that time, I had listened to everybody's advice along the way because I was always seeking that one person who can give me the secret to figuring out what makes me happy. Right, because if you if you ask other people, usually they're able to guide you or at least give you some advice. Unfortunately for me, that wasn't true, because the path that I had taken effectively made me a prisoner to the lifestyle that I developed. You know, I had loans that I had to pay. There was just no way to get around it. I had financial aid along the way. Uh, I have debt still to the tune of a small mortgage, and so combined that. Combine that with the education that prepared me specifically for a very, very unique role in society, which is being an attorney, something that is, is looked upon as something incredibly difficult and specialized to do. There wasn't many other options that I had. In fact, there wasn't any other options I could have. As an attorney, that's it. That's all I had. I was saddled with debt. I was living in an area where I had to pay uh, money to stay there, and it was a lot of money. And, uh, and the prospect of going into the wilderness w- was the last thing on my mind. I mean, I had just like if – you, if you think about it, every single person that I would ever talk to, I would say, hey, I'd like to go you know, to the forest. I'd like to go camping. Nobody ever my age had time because they were working their, their butts off so that they, they could pay their loans or they could invest in whatever they're doing. And so when you think about the type of access that's available to the outdoors inside of a city, effectively it is inaccessible because of the time commitment necessary to go out. And then at the same time, when you think about it, if you add weather and any other type of you know, events, you know, just driving out on a three-day weekend like Memorial Day weekend, you're expecting to spend twice as much time on the road driving home because everybody's stuck in traffic. So if you drive out, if you make plans to go outdoors and you get stuck in traffic and then you have bad weather, it really doesn't produce a very good experience that you want to, re- to, to, to participate in moving forward. You know, Maybe you'll have the odd occasional wonderful weekend, but otherwise it's something that's very tough because that's just what the wilderness is. And so coming from this entire space, I have a unique story because I've had this, this ideal 
where I wanted to be outdoors. I want. I felt comfortable there, even though it was the worst, the worst thing ever. And I've become injured, and I've gotten lost, and I'd, all sorts of different stuff happened. There was something there that just drew me back every single time because when I came back to the city and I kept living this nine to five job, it just it it absolutely felt like I was stuck and I was just waiting until death. And I mean that. I mean that because when I sat in my office in New York City as an associate attorney, I had looked I looked around basically first of all, I was in an office working twelve and a half hours per day. At the end of the week, including the weekends, I worked 95 hours per week, back to back to back to back. The type of position that I was working, uh, most people last approximately one month. So there was a couple different jobs that I had taken. One of the one that I ended up in that where I ended up making the decision uh, to, to, to escape the legal career uh, was one where I was wait, working 95 hours in a room that had no windows. So that really gave me the perspective on my life where I looked at what I was doing and asked myself, wh- what direction am I headed in, right? Like, where is this going? Like, am I going to save money and one day just escape this? Or is this just going to be like this every single day of my life for the rest of my life? And I looked around the room and the guy sitting next to me, I mean, it was a serendipitous occasion. I must've done it all the time, but just that one day I looked to my right and there was a guy who was just maybe five or 10 years older than me. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, that's interesting. He, he kind of, you know, that's probably what I'm going to be doing in five, 10 years. And I looked down the line from him, and there was another guy. He was like 20 years older. And I looked down the line, and there was a guy that was like 30 years older or 40 years older. And I literally saw my future. I saw who I was going to be by sitting at the desk I was sitting at and trying to placate myself with these tiny little uh, – just just making th- myself feel better. You know, My desk was basically full as what probably most people have on their desk right now, caffeine, sugar, and some sort of distraction, whatever it may be, whether you've got Facebook open or Reddit or any type of website that takes away your time. So I looked at that and I asked myself, is this what happiness is? Is this, is this it? Because I'm looking at these, like basically I looked down this line and I saw guys who had bad teeth because of all the sugar they were eating. Their, their stomach grew larger over time. And I guess that was to cushion the fall of their head because they were becoming more slouched because they were working on the computer all day. You know, I was, I was going to the gym at that point. I asked myself, why am I even going to the gym? What's the point? I'm not even using my muscles. I'm sitting in a chair, and am I supposed to look good sitting? I just None of it made sense. None of it. Like this entire process leading up to this very point was something that was so difficult and, and just it did not create happiness in my life that up until that point – I just uh, – I, I realized I had been living somebody else's life. You know, there's millions of people out there who would want to be attorneys. And yet here I was sitting over here and, and doing the thing that I, I most despised, right? So that's when everything kind of changed. And I realized that this pressure kind of it, – it came at an opportune time. And the reason for that was because the, the intense amount of work that I was doing and the intense dissatisfaction with my job, the, the way it drove me away from my friends and people that I loved and my family, it forced me to reflect on my life and it, it forced me to, to, to look at it, what was going on and say, can I continue this? You know, if I had gotten a better job in a different place with maybe slightly less intense uh, pressures, I probably would have at least taken longer to make the decision. But I see this as a a positive thing because that moment was when I looked at my life and I said, what do I really want to do with my life? You know, is this what I want to do? No, it's obviously it wasn't. The answer was no. But then then 
I was throwing away everything, right? Like that's, I had decided I no longer want to be a lawyer and I want to do something else. And that something else was getting out into the outdoors. And so every single person in my entire life, uh, everybody, my entire family, my friends, everybody specifically said that I'm making the bad decision because I'm throwing away my entire life's worth of academics going to school, all the achievements, including passing the New York bar, which is one of the most difficult exams in the entire world, and investing so much actual money into this entire education that uh, people just grew distant from me. They thought I was crazy. You know, they, they, they were like, okay, so here's some guy that's going crazy. He's going to go into the wilderness all on his own and just do stuff. Okay, that sounds – I mean if you think about it objectively, that just sounds like a crazy person, right? So here I was. I was completely on my own. Uh, and, uh, no support, you know, nobody was giving me any money or anything like that. I even tried to start a, a crowdfunding campaign to do this. Uh, it was around my birthday. So I managed to collect 150 bucks, which was pretty nice. But, uh, if you think about my birthday, that actually wasn't much at all. So, um, so that moment, uh, is when I actually made the decision to go into the outdoors and that changed my life forever. And the reason I say that is because, up on the left point, as I said, I, I admired those heroes that went into the unknown and discovered places. And now here I was embarking on these crazy, crazy ideas that I had. And I had no idea what direction I was heading or where I was going at all, actually. But I knew that the direction was outside, right? So it became an opportunity for me to grasp at everything that came my way, all the good things and bad things. And, and I'll tell you, some really terrible things happened. I mean, just really, you know, like running out of money in the middle of a country that you don't speak the language, getting lost, getting hospitalized, getting arrested, all these different things happened along the way. But I'll tell you that looking back at it, my life went from completely predictable where if somebody asked me, hey, what'd you do last weekend? I can say, oh, I went to the club in New York. It went from that to being able to tell stories that could fill volumes so large that I could be writing. I, I, I am writing books right now. You know, these adventures are real. The people that I'm meeting are actual real people from around the world that have different backgrounds and cultures and interesting stories. Whereas if I was living in the city and doing the same thing, if I still talk to my friends today and I ask them what they're up to, maybe they went to a wedding. Maybe they went to a hot new club. Maybe they went to see uh, some musical performer, but then they're right back in the office doing the same thing nine to five again. Whereas every single story that I tell, it is just just full of emotion and close calls. And just, I mean, every single time you go out there, everything changes. And this is especially true if you're traveling to different locations around the world. And the big thing that, that kind of grew out of this is an appreciation for that opportunity. Because I realized that I had escaped a sort of mental prison that, I, that existed in the, in the culture that I came from. So when I was living in the city, I didn't think this was possible. I didn't see this as a realistic option with, with actual uh, sustainable uh, longevity. You know, I, it wasn't like, oh, I can make a career outdoors. No, in fact, it was like maybe I can take a vacation in Aruba on a nice beach. And, but, but now I realize that, there is, that you can do anything that you want, and, and, I, and I speak on it. But, but it's the experiences that, that changed my mind. It wasn't – it wasn't even the, the, the thing that happened in my mind. It was just these experiences where I went after things that I, even I believed were impossible. But I said, you know what, whatever. Let me just go for it anyway because what's going to happen if I don't? Nothing. And if I go for it, maybe I got a chance of doing it. And so by, by entering this entire this, – this, this, 
this opportunity-ridden world of, of you know, danger and, and all these different uncertainty, um, I realized I was putting myself at risk for the benefit of learning on my own how to do these incredible things. And that felt selfish because I had an entire community of people that I cared about that I left behind. You know, when I came home, I spoke to my friends and they, they still lived in this kind of this, this enclosure of society. And I didn't have any way to really express the, the, the experiences that I had to them. Um, you know, I was able to take photos and they said, oh, neat, that's a cool photo. Or I was able to tell them story and they're like, wow, that's crazy. That's a pretty crazy story. But I was never able to communicate to them the intense experience of being able to stand underneath a sky that is on fire in green because you're standing under the aurora borealis at night in the Yukon Territory or standing on the beach and feeling the beach vibrate because the waves that are crashing are so large. It's like a train going by or just any other number of experiences that you can, you can barely even describe to people because they, they, they just don't have the, the mental uh, resources, the, the, the justification in their brain to understand what it is like. And that is until today because I, I started writing and I started uh, producing short movies and I started doing photography. But then last year, virtual reality came out. And the first time I put this this headset on, I was just – I mean if, you, if you've put it on, just remember your first time that you did it. I was completely floored that I could actually put somebody into my shoes uh, almost literally and I can have them experience what I was experiencing. And so that's where I saw the opportunity to take people who have never been able to go outdoors and to have them go outdoors and do exactly what I'm doing. And so immediately I began looking for a camera. I got my camera. I went outdoors. I started this project called World in 360. And, it, and, and the, entire, the entire purpose of what I'm doing kind of revealed itself to me. And, and you know, it's not about the excitement of going out there and seeing things, these things on my own now. I feel like I'm going out there to experience it and then capture that, that essence and then bring it back to those individuals who can't who can't go out there, who haven't made the sacrifices, who, who perhaps weren't able to do it because they were physically Ill- limited or financially or economically or s- whatever way you want to think about it. So now I go to hospitals and I go to orphanages and I go to inpatient care centers. I meet with people who are paralyzed, who never walked a single step in their life. And I'm able to take this virtual reality headset and put it on their heads and suddenly these people who have never taken a single step are ice climbing or they're flying in a drone or they're riding a bicycle or they're on the subway. And it's real. It's not a computer simulation. It's, not, it's a recorded experience that actually happened. So the further I go and, and the more places I visit, the more of this reality, this actual world that we live in, I can capture in order to share. And that's important because when you when you read an article, you're completely disconnected from this place that you're reading about. You know, when you read about the Great Barrier Reef that's completely getting destroyed right now, you don't really have an appreciation for its size or for for what's going on over there. Sure, the pictures are pretty, but never in the never in the world has there been an opportunity to really take somebody and put them into a situation. And this isn't limited to just showing people pretty places or anything like that. Uh, you know, you can work with, uh, with Knowles, for example. I'm speaking about producing scenarios that people can put themselves in. So if there's an emergency, uh, wilderness EMTs can train and know how to respond. And so that's the entire impetus behind the World in 360 project. And, and the places that we're going today are places that are, are meant to, to kind of get this incredible opposite world and bring it over to those people who are living in cities and who are who are who are limited 
to to being here. That's an exception. Still there, Marshall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I usually uh, I usually have to ask questions during podcasts, but you're such a great storyteller that you, you pretty much just cover everything. You don't need even need me on this this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Absolutely, um, you have a fascinating story, and especially when you put all of the different pieces and connect it in the way you did, it really comes to life beautifully, and it's it's really inspiring. Especially all the stuff that you mentioned about what your life was like. Like before you got into what you're doing now while you were a lawyer, some of the things that you saw could be your future and the way that you shifted those to the, the future that you created that you've always wanted um, but but uh, couldn't have before. And I would actually love to hear a little bit more um, about what were some of the, the thoughts that were going through your head and what were some of the little bits of inspiration that you had to... Uh, to actually make that shift happen, even in the face of friends and family and loved ones that were telling you you were being stupid and that this was a, a bad idea. Yeah, no, that? I mean, this is, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, I think that was one of the hardest things to do. In fact, I think that may have been the the largest challenge, you know, that because I even, you know, I approached people who were world record holders or people who have done things that we've never imagined, you know, uh, people who uh, are world champions and um, what happened is some of those individuals literally told me that I can't do what I'm doing. So not only did I have the opposition from people who are inexperienced, those people who have been selected and recognized as, as contributing to the world uh, in significant ways in the outdoors, those people told me that I couldn't do uh, what I was doing. They just said I wasn't good enough. And so, you know, there was opposition from every angle. And there was a point where I just, I just admitted to myself that I must be crazy. That's just the way it was. But the thing was, whatever it is that I was doing at the time, there was something to it where I felt like I was making progress internally, you know, whatever it was. I thought to myself, you know, at least I'm getting better at writing a blog post or I'm getting better at, uh, at taking photos and these things just um, just kind of spiraled onward and onward, and it was a. Ref- I mean, I was just so stubborn, and I refused to quit because the reality was, what was I going back to, right? I mean, ask yourself, was I going to just go back and crawl back into that office and set myself back a couple months, look like a person who quit? I mean, imagine during an interview with somebody said, you know, ask me, hey, what happened these uh, in these six months that you were away? Oh, I decided to go uh, to South America and just uh, one way ticket. They didn't have any plans. You know, that doesn't really create confidence in a potential candidate for your office, somebody that could just escape at some point and not tell you where they're going and just disappear in the world. So, you know, when I when I faced the question of should I keep going or should I turn around, to be honest, I knew what was back where I came from. I already knew what that life was going to be. I knew exactly what to expect if I decided to go back to that world. And I knew also that that was going to be uh, exactly what I didn't want because I was there before. You know, it's sort of like uh, breaking up with in a relationship. You know, there's a reason you broke up. No matter how close you feel or how you feel things have, have worked out better after you guys broke up, there was the fact that no matter what, because the thing is we both, we, we all enter relationships with the best intentions, right? And the same thing is true for our careers. We enter our careers with the best intentions and we try as hard as we can. But once you reach that breaking point, that's it. That's the breaking point. You're, you, you can't do that. And you decided. I'm the one that decided that I couldn't do it. 
So I, I chose to, to seek whatever it was elsewhere that was going to be making me happy. And, and I'm telling you, every, like, even though it was so rare for me to actually travel in the beginning, uh, to, to go, tra- to, to go you know, do anything, go camping or whatever else it was because I didn't have money. I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have anything really. Um, but whenever I got that chance, man, that, that, li- like, that little bit, it was just like I've never had crack before, but I can imagine that's probably what it is. You know, just that little opportunity, that little opportunity to have a little bit just to taste it, that freedom that you get out there. And I actually wrote about this recently because I talked about how – I, I don't necessarily agree with all the different rules that we're putting into national parks and, and state parks and everything else. You know, we're we're literally creating a horror, a hierarchy and a corporate structure for the outdoors, the wilderness. I mean, man, just like isn't that the complete opposite of what we think of when we think of the wilderness? Isn't the wilderness supposed to be the place without rules, where nature rules, where the only thing that matters is how long you're comfortable being out there? You know, there's no dress code. There's no uh, curfew. There's no speed limit in the outdoors. And yet here we are coming in and, and telling people that you can't do certain things. And so you know, the, I believe that the outdoors is so important and what draws us out to it is the fact that we are not um, – is the fact that we are not controlled out there. It's that we are in fact finding a way to be completely disconnected from, soci- from the structure of society. You know, you notice that more and more people are heading outdoors. As statistically, I'll tell you right now, statistically, more, more people are going outdoors today for the very first time than ever in history in America. I think two years ago or three years ago, the statistics were 585 million per, uh, year per, uh, people per year uh, are, uh, went, went outdoors. And, if, and you got to ask yourself, well, it's interesting because there's this economy right now that, that, that's really undergoing significant pressure. And people are having less disposable income, but they're going outdoors more. They're spending more time out there. And you could see that stores like REI and EMS and all those other places, they're, they're seeing you know, good profits because people are purchasing the tools that they need. But you got to ask yourself the question, what is it out there that, that, that draws people out there? And I think what it is is, is peace and the opportunity to, to dictate how you make decisions. And I think that's what it may have been for me because when I, when I was working – Somebody else told me when to come in, when to go home, when to eat, what to do, and when I was doing a bad job. But I didn't really get praised either, right? It was just this thing where like, no, this is your role. This is what you're expected to do. So we're not going to praise you for what you're expected to do. And that is a harsh and terrible way to live. But if you went outdoors, you know, when I did something good, I felt like I did something good. I, did, I felt that. I didn't need to be told I did a good job. I didn't, I didn't need to be told that I wrote an, an interesting blog post because my friends talked to me about it. They were like, hey, I read your thing. That was pretty cool. Hey, I like your photos. You know, and that, that creates a sense of ownership for the, for the accomplishments that I'm able to have in my life rather than expectations that you're support, sort of supposed to check off until you, you check off that last one, which is the size of the casket you're going to have before you drop into, into the ground. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and those accomplishments have such a positive and visual effect on the people around you as well, um, that it's incredible to witness that. And that's actually something I'd love to hear more about as well. All of what you're describing the outdoors is that freedom of possibility uh, and being yourself and uh, being able to accomplish things you never thought were possible before. As an outdoor guide, it's one of the most rewarding feelings in the world to be able to share that with someone new who's never experienced it before. So what's it like being able to bring these experiences of all of your incredible outdoor journeys to people who've never 
maybe even gone hiking before uh, through what you're doing with World and 360 VR? It's tough to describe the experience because you, you're, you know, we, we see videos of people on the internet who, for example, are watch, seeing for the first time, right? There's like, I'm sure that you may have stumbled across it. There's, there's these glasses that allow people who are colorblind to see colors for the first time because what they do is they mute those colors that are overpowering and there's different ways to kind of to, to see. So without going into detail, there's people that see colors for the first time and it's recorded online. They have these reactions that are, it's either crying or shock or awe and, and everything mixed together. Well, when you, when you put these glasses on, it's, it's shocking because there's, there's, it's, it's like you're going from two dimensions to three dimensions. There's another range of freedom that you're feeling. There's a different direction that you can suddenly move in. There's, there's different, it's just, it's when you look at individuals and, and the thing is when you put it on, when you put these headsets on people who are just fully functioning regular adults who are living their day to day lives, you know, it's, it's not as spectacular as, as, uh, the, the people that I bring it to. And the reason for that is because we're just so distracted all the time. We're always playing the newest games on our phones, watching the newest, uh, technology on, on the computer. So we're kind of, uh, jaded to these incredible new things. And yes, virtual reality is incredible, but People are so distracted because they're just so like it's you're just saturated in uh, in in um, in uh, these these uh, things that that really overwhelm your senses. But for so so that's where you know I, I decided to go with a demographic that would that would truly appreciate the experience. And when you see somebody that's never walked before, when you see them put their put these goggles on, and for example, ride a bicycle. When, when the bicycle turns in there, even though they've never been on a bicycle before, you can see them physically leaning. And there's, a, there's a, 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 an expression on their face that appears that you, you can't you know, think up. You can't act it out. There's, it's just an immediate and unintentional, involuntary smile that just stretches from ear to ear. When these individuals, you know, I mean, these are people who are have um, cerebral palsy or who are just old and can't do things, and suddenly they're moving in ways that they never even imagined that they can move again, and that just over, you know, it's 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 a it's something that really has caused me to you know tear up multiple times, um, and I've left places and just needed to, needed some time to kind of understand what it is I was doing because sure, it sounds like a cool gimmick, but. You know, there's a video I, I'm, I'm making available online soon where you can hear some of these guys, you know, asking when I can return so that they can they can do something like that again. You know, they want to experience that freedom, and the technology is only only getting better. I mean, we are at the cusp of this this very real thing here. One thing that I like to say is that in 1963, or you guys can get me wrong on this year, the first time that man stepped on the moon, the entire nation huddled around 10-inch black and white CRT screens. You know, these tiny little bubbles, these, you know, aquarium televisions to watch this person take that first step on the moon. Well, with virtual reality and with the technology that we have today, we can, as a species, we can literally put the goggles on and take the first step onto an alien planet at the same time and experience that as a species instead of watching one of our individuals do it. So that's the direction that this technology is headed in. And I, and I believe that this is the most effective way to communicate experiences and that translates to emotions. And perhaps we can become more empathetic as a society to each other's struggles, no matter what, what the geography or distance between us is. It truly is a revolutionary technology that I think is going to massively impact the world in the future. And that's one of the things that I really love about what you're doing. Because personally, I, I have a massive 
passion for technology. I love technology, and I also love the outdoors. And oftentimes, the uh, the history of the way people perceive the outdoors is almost in opposition to technology, saying that technology and the outdoors don't go together. You should get outside to get away from technology. And I think you're absolutely proving that notion wrong in the future. But what would your response be to kind of discrediting the notion that technology and the outdoors don't go well together? No, I mean, you can kind of say the same thing about civilization, right? Because civilization certainly has uh, put us on a path that is unsustainable with regard to global, uh, global warming. But at the same time, civilization is also responsible for some most, the most useful and incredible tools that have made us uh, the most dominant species on the planet. So I think that technology is, is not one thing. I think that there's different aspects of it that we can celebrate, and there's certainly different ways that it has been used that, uh, that really go against what we should be doing as a species. So with regard to this, you know, I hope that it doesn't become just an entertainment platform. I hope that it becomes one way, you know, another way to communicate. And fortunately, uh, we have uh, individuals who are in- investing in this technology right now specifically with the intent to make it um, a tool for, uh, for Im- immersive communication. So, you know, you watch the whole Minority Report interface, if you've seen the movie with Tom Cruise, um, that's the direction that we're going with, with augmented reality and being able to use things that way. And I think that uh, it's very important for us to continue to pursue these different avenues, uh, but we also must be wary and, and, and really detect when, when we're making uh, an impact that's negative on the environment that we, that we live in. You know, we only get one planet, and unfortunately, we haven't been very kind to it in the past couple of centuries. That's so true. I think it is going to be a technology that really brings people to a better sense of understanding for um, for not just experiencing the outdoors from an excitement kind of sports angle, but also experiencing the outdoors from an ecological standpoint of what we're doing to the planet, uh, what effects uh, mankind has had on the outdoors, and and hopefully stir up a little bit more appreciation for how we can go about bettering our planet and leaving it better than we left it also. Yeah, and I think that really do- it does come down to um, becoming more empathetic as a species. I think that the way that we have been moving in the, the direction that we're moving in, you know, everybody's afraid of immigrants and everybody's afraid of, and we're kind of looking at other countries and, and comparing how much better we are and everything else. But the, the reality is there really is no border there. You know, if you go from country to country in Europe, oftentimes you, can, you have no idea that you've actually crossed the border because it, there's, there's no walls. There's nothing like that. But if you, if you target other, you know, the, the same members of our species and say, these guys are not us, you know, that's, that's, that's incredibly ignorant, I think, because we are facing all of the same issues as a species, hunger and uh, global warming and, you know, crowding on the surface and, and pollution and uh, just everything is, you know, we, we are facing this as a species. If, if the country of uh, Italy suddenly falls into the ocean. You know, and, and uh, I'm not trying to target Italians. I love Italy. But if that if the entire country disappears, you know, we're not going to be able to say, oh, great, we just solved X number of problems. No, we still all have the same problems. We just now don't have an, an entire country that is that can, that also has the potential to help us solve those those problems. And so, you know, in looking at the way that technology is going, we, we now have access to platforms that, that share scientific papers, and YouTube effectively can teach you anything. If you combine YouTube, Wikipedia, and, and, and Google, you know, you can get a college education now for free, entirely for free. Maybe it won't be recognized, but you can teach yourself to do practically anything. 
And so if we, if we look at that and we see the resources that we have available at our fingertips for every single person, so long as they're able to get in front of a computer screen, you know, the, the future is very optimistic. And I think it's important to not think of the different countries that we're, you know, we, we live in the world with as, as different people. We just we have to find that language that, that kind of you know, is able to speak to everybody. That's so true. Yeah, as as technology progresses and as the world progresses, there's more and more realization across borders, across different um, experiences and cultures. I think everyone is finally, hopefully, realizing that you know we're all in this together, and and we're uh, we need to take a step forward, you know, as as a society rather than as individual groups. That's that's so so incredibly true, and. Milo, you've, you've shared an amazingly inspirational story that I think is going to resonate with a lot of listeners today. But if you could tell us to kind of close off the interview, uh, the one thing out of all the amazing things you've done, the one thing that you hope to be remembered for, I guess, essentially your legacy, what would you want that to be? I mean, I, mean, <laughs> I think it's just starting, to tell you the truth. I, I, I don't believe I even have reached the starting line yet for what I intend to do. Uh, but I can tell you that the World in 360 project that you can see at worldin360.com, uh, I believe that project is headed in the right direction. And so I, I hope that your listeners are able to, to come check it out. You can see the videos on uh, your computer directly on your cell phone. Uh, or if you have a virtual reality headset like a Google Cardboard or um, an Oculus Vive or any one of the other uh, devices, uh, it's, it's really something that's spectacular. You know, I recommend watching some of the cool videos that we've produced, like flying the drone inside of the caves um, or anything else. And, uh, and please, you know, provide your feedback. Get on our social media. Send us a comment. Tell us what you want to see recorded. You know, we now, now that we have these, uh, these incredible videos, we can, we can go to places and we can say, hey, we'd like to record this for this purpose. And, uh, you know, they'd be, everybody's more than happy to, to help us out. For everyone listening out there, I definitely recommend checking out Milo's stuff, following him on social media, and reaching out if you have any questions. Um, he's done some really incredible things and it's, it's really inspiring to see all the things you've done. And I really can't wait to see everything you're going to do in the future. So thanks so much for joining us, for sharing your story, for sharing all the inspirational bits of wisdom that you did today. And I can't wait to see all the amazing things we'll do in the future. Thanks very much, Marshall. It was nice to be on. This podcast is brought to you by Vestigo, a peer to peer adventure sharing platform that lets people experience the best an area has to offer by connecting with the local professionals that both have the gear and the knowledge to facilitate incredible and unique outdoor experiences. People have even called it an Airbnb for outdoor guides. Recently, we talked to Tyler, a fan of Vestigo who has gone on four trips so far. Let's see here. So I guess the most memorable so far is uh, Mount Yona. It's my favorite spot. I've gone there with Vestigo, and then actually I've gone there by myself a couple times afterwards because I loved it. Most memorable because I went rappelling off the side of a mountain for the first time. Do you think you would have gone rappelling if you were not on a Vestigo trip? I do not. No. Uh, maybe someday in the future. Uh, of course, just like anything else, you'd be like, yeah, I can get around to that. Vestigo allowed it to be like, let's do it. You want to do it? Here's when, here's where, you know, let's go. What would you say to someone that is on the fence about going on a trip? Go. Just go now. It's, uh, it's. You just can't beat it. You can't do it yourself. It's not like they're providing someone the motivation to do something that they could do themselves, but maybe don't. I mean, and and they can, but it's just, there's nothing matched going in a group. I mean, if you want to go on vacation somewhere, whether you want to do some activity, like having the group of people makes it 
just makes it. And uh, so, so going to do something for the first time with 10 to 15 other people who might also be doing it for the first time that maybe I know them, maybe I don't, we can kind of share our, you know, nerves or experiences or how awesome it was afterwards. Um, and then just going with someone that knowledgeable, um, you know, it's, it just all around, I enjoyed it so much that I've gone back three times since. Vestigo, an adventure sharing platform that provides people the knowledge, confidence, and safety to repel off a cliff for the first time. To learn more about Vestigo, visit their website at vestigo.co, V-E-S-T-I-G-O dot C-O. When you sign up for your trip, use the promo code podcast and receive 10% off your first trip. Vestigo, find an adventure, book a trip, go.